everyone. Welcome to episode 72 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Rempel, and with me, as always, back from Baltimore, Collins Mullen. Hey, Collins. What's up? How was Baltimore? It was fun. You know, Magic tournaments are great, so there's always that. I played Tron this time as I was talking about doing it and uh i'm glad i did because i'm probably not gonna do that again (laughs) (laughs) yeah so talk about that why why aren't you gonna do that again it's just such a i i I worked really hard to develop all of the plans in the particular matchups and Mm -hmm. in particular the 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 tough matchups for tron like infect Mm -hmm. and kci and storm and I, I I figured out a pretty solid plan, I think, most of those matchups. Yep. But playing it in the tournament, I thought that having a really, really structured plan for those matchups would make up for the fact that it's, you know, generally bad. But it just didn't. Yeah. And I was just, you know, it was just kind of rolled by those decks anyways. So it felt a lot like playing the matchup lottery, mm-hmm. where I was like, all right, I'm playing against Black Green now. That means I can't lose. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, some other times you played against the harder matchups and like i played against infect i think three times over the tournament and mm-hmm. just never came close to beating it yeah there are there are definitely times where i well i shouldn't say that i didn't come close i, I did feel like there were opportunities for me to take over the game and, and do that stuff but you know they were just able to fight through the big blocking ballistas and you know i i don't have enough spot removal to draw a ton of it right it was just rough so so yeah it just felt like you know too much was outside of my control to for to justify me playing the deck again, I think. I mean, and also to be fair, playing against three, playing against Infect three times in one tournament is not a, the normal result of the matchup lottery. Yeah, right. That's fair. Right. So for sure, that that might leave a like a little more of a sour taste in your mouth than <laughs> than normal yeah. like Tron like kind of rough matchups. I mean, that's like. Like, Infect has, is just the worst matchup, pretty much. One, of, like, at least in the bottom, like, three or something like that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I didn't, I, I guess I didn't think about that too much until you just said it. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, I guess you have a good point there. The one thing I did really like about Tron, though, was the first, like, three turns were honestly pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Because you get to play your little rocks and, you know, crack them and, and, and cycle through your library with Sylvan Scryings and, and maps and ancient stirrings. Mm-hmm. And that, like, sequencing that to, like, optimizing getting Tron and, like, really paying attention to the mulligan decisions to make sure that we gave ourselves the best opportunity to hit Tron on turn three or four. Yep. That was... I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that was where there was some play to it. But there's another deck in Modern that is just that, and that's how it wins as well, and that deck is Crackline Ironworks. So there, it might be true that my focus is going to shift once again. Yeah, um, if we're going to try to sequencing artifacts right. that you sacrifice. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, I hear there's a good deck for that in Modern. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that when we get into Modern a little bit. Uh, actually, I been hearing surprising numbers of people saying like it is time to pick up kci so. i mean yeah the invitationals this weekend and people are finally coming to their senses i guess yeah I, I guess so <laughs> yeah um before we get into it i think we'll hit modern first as our, our first big topic of the day mm-hmm. um but want to take a quick second to thank all our patrons 
definitely really appreciate all the support. Appreciate you guys hanging out in the Discord. Um, I'm going to have another mailing of tokens going out pretty soon because I got a, a medium-sized dump of addresses. So if, if you are not in that dump of addresses, make sure to send me yours so I can get your tokens to you. If you are not on our Patreon yet, then I mean, how could you? How could you get tokens? <laughs> you gotta um, be, you gotta be on our Patreon to to get the tokens. So yeah. might as well do that. That's that's just the way it works. So <laughs> come hang out, come chat with us. Uh, if you want to support us that way, that's awesome. If you want to support us any other way, you know, leaving reviews, sharing on on Twitter and stuff like that, or just listening is all super helpful. So mm. all right, and then let's kick things off as we always do with a keeper mole. This was a hand message to me in the middle of the tournament by T. Lee. This is a Zansayed special. Oh, yeah. Um, playing Golgari on the draw versus Jeskai. So this is a seven-card hand. One land. Forest. <laughs> okay. Uh, Carnage Tyrant. Find. Duress. Jade Light. Druid of the Cowl. And Vraska's Contempt. Uh, and Find Finality is what I, what I meant there, obviously. I mean, so this is just one of those... If we draw land in our first two turns, then we start doing things. If we don't, we're going to die. Yeah, um, right. So we, if we draw one land, we're, we're pretty much set, right? Because we can play our Druid of the Cowl, and that's going to bridge us into playing our Jade Light Ranger, which in theory is going to make our land drops. Mm-hmm. But it seems too high risk for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you mulligan less in standard formats than you do in modern formats. I definitely do, yeah. And I think that you're supposed to do that mm-hmm. just because of the power level formats. You know, modern's an extraordinarily high power level format, so you need to be more aggressively mulliganing to make sure that your draws are, you know, equivalently high powered. Whereas in standard, that's not as true. The standard games are going to be a little slower. And, you know, they're not going to be able to punish you as hard for your draws just kind of being like medium lands and spells. Mm-hmm. But I think medium lands and spells is still better than than kind of hoping on this hand. This is a, if, Since this is a seven, even though we're on the draw and we have the Druid of the Cowl, I, I think it's too likely that we just don't get to play magic with this hand. So I, I think I would lean towards mulliganing it. Um, I mean, any consideration to how powerful this hand is... If you do draw that land, I mean, it has the duress, it has access to Carnage Tyrant and a Fine Finality already in mm-hmm. it. Um, like, you will never run out of gas with this hand yeah. if we if we hit a land and then Jade Light Ranger. Definitely a consideration there, for sure. But I think the thing that pushes me over the pushes it over the top for me is that since we're playing against Jeskai Control, they're relatively likely to just be able to remove your Druid of the Cowl. So, and, and that's one thing that I am not actually totally sure about okay um so i mean it's it's more likely to survive than lano i mean against jeskai i guess that's that's tough to say because they don't really play well, shock they're not shocking lano or elves we so should, we have similar concerns yeah we should analyze the removal spells that they have available to them on turn two or i guess on turn three as well right and, and that's that's the thing is that they're on the play mm-hmm. and so the one thing that i was thinking and this is maybe going a little too deep but if we lead on forest nothing mm-hmm. uh and then pass the turn yeah. and then our second turn there are some lands that give away it, even if we do draw land there are lands that give away that this hand that we kept is really land light specifically overgrown tomb overgrown tomb or even another forest possibly like if my opponent definitely if my opponent goes forest overgrown tomb druid of the cowl but even if my opponent goes forest forest druid of the cowl then my 
my thinking as a Jeskai player is maybe it's worth burning a Deafening Clarion on this Druid of the Cowl for the, like, some percentage chance that I just win the game on the spot here. Maybe, for sure. And I think that the more savvy players are definitely going to take note of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Looking out for Forest Pass, Shockland, Cast's Bell is definitely a very indicative of their light on lands. Because they would never, if they had both of those already, they would never do that. Right. Unless you're trying to get them. But, well... If you have a four-land hand and they're Jeskai and you don't care about your life total, then right. maybe... Maybe. Who knows, man? Yeah. That's so. Like that's, that's actually something that I don't think about enough. Yeah. Um, and and like, I, I think that's definitely something that a lot of people overlook. Mm-hmm. You know, myself included. I, I'm, I'm sure that's an area that I'm not paying enough attention in in Magic. So yeah. that's, I, I'm, I'm definitely glad that that came up through this discussion. Yeah. So I wonder, just... I, I think, like... Even if it does occur to me looking at my hand, then I'll just be confident that if I shock myself, it's going to end up mattering 15 <laughs> turns later. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but definitely something that I should at least be thinking about more. Yeah, I mean, this hand is a close one. And like the fact that the matchup is against Jeskai, where you do end up trading a lot of cards, especially once you have duresses in your deck after board. There's a lot of sixes that you mulligan to in a matchup like this that feel awful any four land hand on six like you just kind of feel like you're never going to win that game at that point you're just going to completely run out of gas against a seven card hand and like that that is what scares me is because but you know like you're not concerned about getting run over in the matchup but you're also you are the aggro deck in the matchup so when if you do miss land drops it's just going to be over they can start resolving to fairy when you're not pressuring them yeah I, right, I think that a lot of people have the conception that, like, oh, it's just a control deck. That means that I can afford to, you know, do nothing for a little bit. But the reality is that that is just playing completely into the plan of the Jeskai player, because the Jeskai player is going to be able to get a mana advantage on you if you're mm-hmm. if you're stuck on lands, and then you're going to get completely crushed, because they're going to counter the first thing that you get to play, and then they're going to slam their Planeswalker, or whatever, their, their Nivmizit. You know, and even if you start, you know, if if you break a couple of times and then the, the Jeskai player is able to, say, you know, make a couple of land drops and they don't, you know, they don't need to cast anything, but, you know, then you hit your second land drop and then you play your guy and then they kill it and then you play another guy and they counter it, you know. Right. You're just like, now you're like one for one, you're forced to one for one into their into their spells where they have that man advantage and i just don't think that you're ever gonna win that game yeah so i think that the risk of that happening is too high where say you brick for like two turns i think the game just ends um and i don't so i don't i don't really like the odds of of that yeah and i'm just typing it into a, a calculator here so so these golgari decks mostly run 23 lands they they cheat a little bit as compared to their mana costs because they have the explore guys which yeah. don't help us at all here right 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 like we need to draw actual land so we have one in our hand 53 cards left in the deck uh 22 lands that we're okay drawing and even then i either of the memorial to follies are potentially terrible to draw if we draw them on our second yeah card. we can just you know drawing lands is fine so i mean they're they're okay but like like, we're probably behind if we miss on land on our first turn and then draw Memorial to Folly on our second turn, yeah. then then that's that's pretty bad. Right. So, but, it, like, just counting lands in the first two turns, you know, we are at 33.7% to miss. So we we have, like, a two-thirds chance of hitting one land. which is On our second turn? By our second turn, yeah. Okay. Either first or second turn. Yeah. So, you know, that's not terrible but we do have like keeping this hand there is a 33 percent chance to just lose the game on the spot pretty much 
I don't know what your odds of, I mean, I guess like a random six, your odds of, of winning the game don't go down to, I don't know. It's just a rough, like, it's hard to, like, take this math and, like, come up with anything very specific. For me, the reason I was so willing to just ship it mm -hmm. is because, especially when you're on the draw, the difference between seven cards and six, six cards feels pretty negligible. Yeah. I feel like when you're on the draw, a six, in terms of, like, raw cards that you have access to, because you're getting that extra card off of being off of the draw, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the difference there is pretty negligible, and I think that your percentage chance of getting a playable six is very high, especially because you get the scry afterwards. That just increases your percent chances of your six being playable. Sure. I would assume that your, your chances of getting a, a, a playable six are higher than two-thirds. Right. But, you know, I don't know the exact math on that. That's pretty tough to do. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's my instinct for sure. And I, you know, so I think that I would, I would lean towards mulliganing them. I don't, I don't like keeping sevens that have to get there. Sure. Definitely. Yeah. I know that, and this is, you know, not particularly useful information, but then I also saw that Zan got there and, you know, a couple of turns later just like has a Carnage Tyrant in play and blah, blah, blah. Of course. Um, yeah. This is such a classic Zan would keep. Hand. Definitely a Zan hand. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, we, he's explained why on the podcast. So. Yep. I think that Zan and I just are different there, maybe. Yep. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, this is one of the ones that is very close for me and I can't come down particularly hard either way. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's. That's all I have to say about that. All right, so Baltimore. Yeah. Got to talk about some modern. Oh, yeah. Uh, big weekend for Arclight Phoenix. <laughs> Tell me about it. it <laughs> Arclight Phoenix was in the winning deck list of all three tournaments that weekend. Yes. It, it won the Modern Open. It won the Modern Classic. And it also won the Standard Classic. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, if that's... It feels pretty indicative of the fact that Arclight Phoenix is just going to be a real card in modern yep. moving forward. I I think so. And, I mean, so the the question we've got to answer now is... And we'll talk about Standard in, in a little bit. Yeah. The question we've got to answer now is, like, which of these cores is the best way to, to use Phoenix? Of the Phoenix shells? Yeah. 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 Um, I think it's... I think it's pretty tough to determine that. Right. And yeah. I think it might just be modern and metagame are two words that don't really go together particularly well. Mm -hmm. But I do think it is kind of metagame dependent, like which one you want to be on. There may not be a strictly better shell to put it in. Uh, but for right now, it looks like we've got, you know, three main ways to go. There's there's definitely the the blue-red thing, thing in the ice, cantrip version. Um, Ross Miriam's version was pretty cool, very disciplined in that he didn't include any Bedlam Revelers because that was just one more place where like the graveyard becomes your weak point of, of interaction and so his, his deck is really built to function even when the, his graveyard gets attacked post board yeah. but then there's the burn deck that he played against in the finals with lava spikes and everything and, <laughs> oh, and, yeah. revelers. and then there's the hollow one version which is the only one that did not make top eight and the one that i had been kind of espousing so maybe that's mm -hmm. a little embarrassing but jerry t played it in the open too so i mean yeah i mean come on <laughs> like I, I, can't, I couldn't have been that out of line right for sure yeah I, I i've always thought that the blue version was better because i just think that the consistency that it adds is really important mm -hmm. and i also i really like thing in the ice out of that deck thing is just incredible yeah it's so good it's 
really, really powerful. Even in, you know, it's it's insane in all the creature matchups, of course, mm-hmm. right? But even in the non-creature matchups, it just feels like a Tarmogoyf that's bigger somehow. Yeah. And and, <laughs> and the, the fact that it, like, it solves Wormcoil Engine against Tron when they slam it down or something like that. Oh, yeah. Like, it just does things. So much utility. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I... You know, as much as I have enjoyed playing the Hollow One version and have done some pretty silly things to people with it, I don't know, just the way that this deck manages to always be able to get back the Phoenixes that it, that it does draw yeah. uh, is very impressive. I don't think... I know Ross has been working on this deck a lot, and definitely props to him for refining it, and he should be super proud that he like got it here and then and met, got it to... You know the point where he could win an open Got with the it. trophy. I there's stuff in here that I think we're not quite at yet. Yeah, like I, it's hard for me to believe that the correct mix of cantrips is four ops, four serum visions, and two thought scours in a deck with like four Arglight phoenixes and a bunch of crackling drakes. Sure, like thought scour just seems busted to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know how good the like you probably need some sort of other threat, but the monastery swift spears on camera at least a lot of times looked like extremely underwhelming. Um, mostly just giving points of interaction to your opponent where they with like normal cards like lightning bolt, where normally those cards just don't interact with the rest of the deck. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I really, really like the swift spears in the burn heavy builds of this deck. Definitely. And yes. I have seen blue red versions of this deck that are much more burn heavy i think like the only blue cards that they were running was like the the thing in the ice and then also potentially like a a few cantrips but the majority of the spells were all all the burn spells lava spikes the whole deal yeah Um, yeah in that case then the the few points that you squeak out with that swiss spear can be extremely important yeah yeah so i kind of just think that that card is just like the next best bolt almost it feels like it gets in for three damage a lot of the time especially mm-hmm. from the play yeah you know maybe maybe if you're just trying to fill up your deck with a bunch of bolts swift spear just belongs mm-hmm. but then you know it's... how how far down that rabbit hole are we gonna go where we're just playing burn all of a sudden like we're just you right. know, playing burn with Arclight phoenix which could just be great which is totally obviously it made yeah. the finals like yeah. the, the deck is basically just burn with Arclight phoenix yeah in it and bedlam revolver right. like i mean i don't hate that idea i i think that you know you just have to commit one way or the other uh and it it, it seems and i'm sure I, there were definitely games where where swiss spear was incredible for ross just like uh, two monastery swiss spear and three crackling drake together in the main deck of a modern deck uh feels incohesive to me yeah that's all no i understand that for sure and especially whenever whenever i look at the number two of monastery swiss spear we've seen that before mm-hmm. in the like very early builds of mardu pyromancer mm-hmm. they're playing two yeah. two swiss spears but i think that it's so likely that the correct answer there is you got to be four or nothing you got to be you got to be in on swiss spears as part of your plan or you got to be ignoring that card for better cards right um right because i'm not saying that like the the argument we're making is not like Swift Spear is a bad card here. Obviously, like it can hit for a lot of damage. There's a million spells in this deck, but is that part of what the deck wants to be doing? Is right. putting this one mana damaging creature into play? Yeah, maybe. But then, but, like, how, how do we want it at a level that we only want two in the deck? Is what <laughs> is what's confusing to me. Yeah, I love the creature removal package in the deck. One of the things with the Hollow One version is humans is really hard their mm-hmm. creatures are big 
reflector mage is a problem. I can't imagine that Ross had problems with humans over the weekend. He's just got a bunch of burn. Yeah, three gut shots, two lightning axes, like, and the fact that his sources of damage are so powerful in Crackling Drake and Thing in the Ice, so you don't need to be burning their face. You're happy to lightning bolt creatures. I I, I think that this deck just like has a lot going for. It. I mean, I'm very partial to phoenixes in general, but but I'm pretty in for this list. Thing in the Ice has just really impressed me. And so yeah, something like this for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know I'm excited. Like I think that people now have the are probably going to have more confidence in the in the Arclight Phoenix deck after this weekend, mm-hmm. and I think that might a consequence of that down the line might be that enough people have put in a, a lot of reps into this deck to really figure it out. Yeah. Um. So you know now that it's had that breakout like success weekend. I think people are gonna really put the pedal to the metal on on figuring out exactly the, the numbers, the and, numbers, and everything. Yeah. So um, that should be fun to witness over the next couple of weeks. The flip side of that, though, is that people are gonna learn how to play against it better. Oh yeah, like for sure. Like I, I definitely have seen people just like not really understand what thing in the ice does to their game plan and just get crushed by it if people play against it a lot that won't happen. I'm sure people were bringing in like oversideboard and graveyard hate against ross when it really only affects like phoenixes and then like actual like flashbacking faithless looting and stuff like that when he was totally prepared to deal with graveyard hate after sideboard and that those sorts of missteps i mean just like a big part of modern is taking advantage of playing decks that people don't right necessarily know how to play against and maybe some of that just like general my opponent is a step behind because I've played this matchup and they haven't. That might get lost after a little while of this. And yeah, and honestly, I, I bet a lot of that happened this past weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the I, I don't believe that this deck is so dominant that it's just going to win all the tournaments from now on. Yeah, no way. And the fact that it won all of the tournaments this past weekend, you know, I think is probably... It's, it's more likely that it's due to the fact that people weren't prepared to play against it quite mm-hmm. yet. And it was able to capitalize on that this particular weekend and, and convert a higher percentage of the time that, than we're going to see in the future. Yeah, I, I definitely don't expect this to be the end all be all of modern in any capacity. For I don't sure. think that I, I I don't think that this deck is even going to be a consideration for the best deck in, in modern. But I do believe that it because it, it has a lot of hype, the uh, metagame percentage of this deck is going to skyrocket. Mm-hmm. So that's something to 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 note if you're planning on playing in a modern tournament coming up. Right, and by skyrocket, that means go from like 3% to 6% or something like that. But that's huge. That's big. I mean, yeah, honestly, that's that's insane. But yeah, I mean, it's still it's still going to be modern is the caveat there. So, you know. Yep, definitely. Don't don't overreact, I guess. I right, and, and I mean, the best way to react to this deck, I think, is mostly by playing against it. Yeah, just, you know, understanding what they're, what they're doing. Yeah. And honestly, if you, you know, if you have the ability to, just like play with it a mm-hmm. little bit if you, if you can. You know, get the cards on Magic Online through whatever means, or or just like proxy up the deck. Uh, playing with this deck is gonna give you. I just I, th- I think that I I would recommend that to any any modern player who wants to keep up with all of the decks in the format. It gives you a, an a, an astonishing level of understanding of how the deck plays, what its weak points are, what's abusable by other players. So. Yeah, if you want to, you know, if you if you don't think that you understand the deck even at all a little bit, then just proxy it up or whatever and, and see what you can figure out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's really important to understand, uh, especially because it it does a thing from a position of 
like from behind basically like a lot of times what would happen is there's like a serum visions or even like a tapped steam vents on turn one and yeah. then on turn two there's a thing in the ice right and then on turn three we're attacking for 13 right right, so. yeah. right 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 and that's pretty good and you know and part of that was that you bounced all of your opponent's creatures yeah so. which is a big thing in modern yeah. there's a lot of creatures between humans and spirits there's just and, and you know whatever artifact you know ravager art like arcbound ravager kind of decks or whatever bouncing all your opponent's creatures is a real thing yeah one other, I think, decent size storyline of the weekend. Uh, I don't have the the day two metagame breakdown in front of me. I couldn't quite find it, but I do remember it getting mentioned on stream. And KCI was actually one of the most played decks mm-hmm. to make day two. Yeah, which is not just despite its extremely high power level. Yeah. that is not what we usually see. So that's. That, to me, is extremely notable and may signal a little bit of a sea change in how people are understanding the modern format and approaching it. Which, you know, if people start actually playing this deck to the level that its, like, win percentage would seem to (laughs) suggest people should be, then that that comes with a whole bunch of things. Number one, it'll teach people to play against it better, which, uh, I mean, I think is definitely one of its strengths people like bring in tormod's crypt and then sit there and think i'll stop them from comboing off with this tormod's crypt which doesn't doesn't work out now if you play against it multiple times in every tournament eventually you'll figure out a different way of approaching the matchup but it also may bring more attention onto the deck i don't know if at some point there's going to be some sort of ban worthiness discussions but it's also at the very minimum going to you know influence people to be running more of the cards that work against it like stony silences and and the actual hate that stops kci from just (laughs) killing you right yeah which leads me a little bit to i I think the most and and this i'm working off of memory here because i just can't find these stats but i think the most played deck on day two was actually banned spirits yeah and just absolutely eclipsing humans as the disruptive creature deck of choice Mm -hmm. in this format it seems yeah yeah, spirits. Spirits has definitely been a dominant force, I think, for a while now. But from what I can see, I think that's we're kind of on the tail end of that. I think spirits is slowly becoming worse and worse in modern. Yeah, talk just, about that. Yeah, just based on its its matchups, where you know it's it's had a lot of success recently, just because you know it's a very powerful deck that people have recently discovered, and mm-hmm. and a lot of people are playing it, and as a result, it's having a lot of success. But I think that the the metagame is just slowly becoming more and more hostile to it. It's 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 a natural occurrence of whenever one deck becomes the metagame percentage leader, mm-hmm. is that that deck gets eroded by everybody tuning towards it. Right. It happened to humans. You know, it's it's just I think pretty pretty bound to happen to all all you know decks that are as popular as Spirits is getting to be right now. So yeah, I mean Spirits has definitely had its time in the sun, but I I don't really expect that to last very long. I think it might go on for a little bit longer. I, I expect to see a very healthy number of spirits to the invitation. Sure. You know, I don't think that this is going to happen overnight or anything. I mean, definitely, like, you know, this is not scientific, but, like, ear to the ground, hearing people talk about it, a lot of times when people are, are talking about the deck that they chose to play or, like, what they're thinking about in the metagame, a lot of these, these like, interviews and dialogues start with, well, I think Bant Spirits is the best deck in the format. <laughs> right. Um, which is not... In a format like Modern, I don't love playing the best deck 
yeah, in the format. For sure. I mean, that's why like I very rarely ran humans. Um, because it's not it's not so much better than the rest of the decks that yeah. you're still gonna get that equity. Because it is that now you have negative equity associated with playing the best deck, which is that everybody's ready for you. Yeah. And and these between humans and spirits, you know, like you get a lot of your your plan against humans can basically be the, the your sideboard plan against spirits because, you know, similar cards are very good against both decks. When you're playing the quote unquote best deck in the format that shares a lot of overlap in vulnerability with one of the decks that I think we've seen get pretty firmly pushed out of of the format yeah that's like a pretty dangerous spot to be in you're kind of teetering on the edge there yeah for sure yeah i mean you know we'll see we'll see what happens i i you know i wouldn't be surprised at all to see spirits continue to be the most dominant deck for you know just just in terms of like metagame percentage numbers not really in terms of results Mm -hmm. um but i think that it's going to be up there for probably you know maybe another month but after that i think it's going to be yeah down where human says yeah one one thing that we could see, um, I, I feel like most of the podcasts that I've been listening to lately, and and people have just been either recommending or just saying that they are now going to be picking up Kark Clan Ironworks as their yeah. modern day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if that happens in the number, and you know we're starting to see this, if it was one of the most played decks day two of the open, and if people are really starting to pick it up, I mean that's a situation where Bant Spirits can. And, you know, the metagame percentages in Modern are not... The, nothing becomes, like, an incredibly huge part of the metagame, and you can't say, I'm going to play Bant Spirits and pray on KCI all day. <laughs> right. But if more people are playing KCI, then playing Spellqueller is fantastic. Yeah. yeah, game one is rough against Spirits out of <laughs> yes. KCI, because you, whenever you put your KCI on the stack, you're just crossing your fingers. Because, honestly, if they Spellqueller, you just, you're just going to lose. Yep. It's, it, that's, that's what that is. Yeah. And I mean, you know, just fundamentally, Bant Spirits does have a lot going for it. It is definitely the best Rest in Peace slash Stony Silence deck that you could be playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, because those those cards work by shutting down the deck as long as the shutting down your opponent's deck as long as they are in play. Yeah. If you're playing something like Blue White Control, that means that eventually we're gonna have to fight over this Nature's Claim that <laughs> that's gonna get drawn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you're playing Bant Spirits, then that means you got a nature's claim this before my like five damage a turn clock kills you, right. and and that's a that's a big difference. I do think that Bant Spirits is still reasonably well positioned for a little while at mm-hmm. least. Yeah, I can see it. The more gut shots we see, though, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, the less I want to be on a noble hierarch deck. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, just kind of just kind of looking at it, the. Um, it, it seems like on paper the Phoenix decks are going to be pretty head- favored against Spirits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm interested in just jamming that matchup a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mostly, yeah. it looks like a really fun magic to play. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. There's so many elements involved in it, like within the matchup. There's you know the threat of a thing in the ice flipping, mm-hmm. and there's also the fact that you know you can have your your Phoenixes back to block is a big thing. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting elements associated with what's going on there. So and you know. I think that the more heavy, you know, the more removal spell heavy versions of the Phoenix deck are, are probably going to be more favored. So it, it, the answer is probably not as simple as, oh, this deck is favored versus this deck. It's going to be more like, well, the Phoenix deck is favored if it happens to be the removal spell heavy version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more they're going to spin their wheels with like cantrips, the probably the weaker they're going to be. Yeah. Just because they don't have that density of removal spells to keep up with what Spirits is doing. Well, and that's... 
that's where your raw draw quality comes into comes like right into focus because if you spend a turn spinning your wheels and playing a lot of cantrips that's bad yeah if you spend your turn spinning your wheels and playing a lot of cantrips and then at the beginning of combat like two arclight phoenixes come into play that's <laughs> sure. that's such a different story yeah, of course so just how many arclight phoenixes are in the top 20 cards of your deck is like a big question to how that game is gonna play right, out. right right for sure and they are like very nicely sized to fight the spirits creatures until there's a bunch of lords in play. But they, <laughs> like they have flying, they, yeah. I don't know. It just like the the amount of play that the deck has is is what really sells it to me over the the mo- either of the mono red versions. Because yeah. you were really enjoying playing the standard version of is mm-hmm. it Drakes? Yeah, and it feels like it's just the same deck but overpowered. It's just now all the spells are one mana, right? You or just zero. <laughs> always have a goblin electromancer in play, <laughs> right? Basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> crazy <laughs> yeah definitely yeah and, and just being able to modify you know if you're playing like a bunch of burning inquiries and stuff like that the the like flexibility of your deck isn't really there you can't be very nimble you can't you know s- dig for a lightning axe to kill a big you know a, a, a three or four toughness lord or something like that right in a deck like this you have a lot more options we should also talk about jeskai control <laughs> or maybe just talk about the fact that Seth and Brad just like showed up at an open and just top aided it. Like just playing Jeskai Control. Just just came in, ran the tables, and then Yeah, I mean, yeah. I they they did they had a lot of success this tournament. Um and they it, it looked like a lot of the pros came up with or showed up with Jeskai Control. It's it's a deck that that players who believe that they can outplay their opponents are going to be leaning towards right because jeskai control i think gives you the best opportunity to do that yep um cantrips cheap removal yeah like prioritizing your opponent's threats yeah and just like you know understanding the game plans Mm -hmm. uh i think that if you if you're playing jeskai control and you understand the game plans and your opponent doesn't you're just going to beat them every time yeah so you know if if they if they feel like they have that edge um they're going to jump towards that deck which makes sense. Yep. And with a surprising amount of infect making day two, maybe <laughs> yeah. related to right. how much, like... Uh, I, it's I, a strange I don't know. modern world we're living in right it, now. It is a weird modern world. It seems world. all over the place in some contexts, but then in other contexts it feels pretty narrow. Yeah, and I, I wonder how much of this is a result... You know, like the, the world of SCG Opens is a little bit insular. It's a yeah. little bit, like... I, I know that if I'm going to win this event, I'm probably going to have to beat Jeskai once or twice in the later yeah, rounds. for sure. Like, that's just the way it is. Because somebody, like like Rossum or Nikolic or, like, one of these random Platinum Bros showing up and wanting to interact is just going to run it. And yeah. they're going to be there in the way. I don't know. Just a very weird situation. I, I know we had to watch, you know, uh, Kazu ran into Brad Nelson at the end of the tournament just yep you that know was, that was a bummer <laughs> for, former player of the year playing your worst matchup right uh, <laughs> yeah these things happen yeah uh, i i still can't espouse playing just guy control in modern it's yeah not... and i think that a lot of that has to do with our play styles is that you and i don't like control decks <laughs> i don't i can't i can't look at an opening hand and it's like lightning bolt path to exile cryptic mm-hmm. command Lands. This hand is perfect. So yeah, I'm, I'm in. Snap it off. What? Yeah. Well, you, there's so many cards your opponent could play that yeah. you're just gonna die to. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's. Uh, I. I definitely feel you there, but I. I. 
I know enough about it and I've heard enough about it from people who do like the deck. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, of course it's a very real deck and it has a lot of success, but it's it's definitely something that I am going to hesitate to pick up. Yeah. I mean, the more I look at Celestial Colony decks in general, you know, there was a point where I was like, all right, blue-white control is clearly, like, the better, just because it, like, has better counterspells, the, the Field of Ruin advantage, that sort of thing. But I don't actually know what blue-white control beats, except for things that its sideboard cards beat. I know what Jeskai beats, and that's cheap creature decks. Mm-hmm. Like, the the presence of Lightning Bolt in the deck gives you matchups where you can feel very confident in. Uh, and that that is that makes me understand why people would choose the deck. Blue-white control, just like, you look at your hand and you're like, I, I technically can interact with early creatures, but it means I'm giving them a rampant growth on turn two. So I don't actually know what like the reason to run a deck like that is. At, at least with Jeskai, there's a there's a plan. There's there's good matchups that you want to play against, and I I can understand that to some extent. I, I'm not gonna choose that. <laughs> sure, <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. And one of the things we saw was just every time Brad got on camera, except for when he was playing against Kazu, he was just playing against a bad matchup and yeah. just. Sometimes kind of walking them into stuff, but sometimes just like having enough cryptic commands that like it doesn't matter. It just didn't matter <laughs> that yeah, yeah. you know Tron never Annalise never Troned against him mm-hmm. until it was way too late, and just sort of doing Brad Nelson things in general. <laughs> but yeah, so what are we playing in modern? I mean, are you, you're just like I, you know, I I'm prepared to to learn Crack Client Ironworks. Okay, uh, Lee McLeod made. Just the the KCI Bible yep. uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess now, and I've I've read it, and I'm probably gonna study it more this week, and really you know really learn all those loops, and and that's my plan. I, I honestly I, I had a lot of fun playing th- that element of Tron, ironically enough. <laughs> right. It, you know those decks probably couldn't be more different, right? But they both have a similar early turn patterns, mm-hmm. and honestly, I think that those early turn patterns out of KCI are. You know, sometimes you have to know how to sequence everything appropriately and what you need to hold back and everything mm-hmm. to, you know, to save your combo turn. It's not as straightforward as you might think it is. So I'm excited to to, to utilize my cantrip knowledge to, to try to see if I can if I can get that one right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, and it is it's quite quite complicated. I mean, I I feel like a lot of times the peop- the things I spent most of Saturday watching the open and goldfishing. Least copy of KCI. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, I, I do think that it, it's kind of weird. Like, people are like, oh, yeah, KCI is really hard. I think all of the stuff that they think is hard and complicated, just in general, yeah. I, I think like most of that stuff is actually pretty simple once you get it. And all the stuff that they don't think about is like very hard. Yeah, right, right. You know, right. just like sequencing around your opponents, like what they can do and that sort of thing. And like keeping surgical extraction in mind and that sort of thing. I yeah. think, I think that's the really challenging part once you've gotten the loops and the optimizing your sequencing. You're, you're down yeah then then that that becomes kind of secondary and then that gives you the mental space to think about you know my opponent is in this game too and what are they going to do yeah, so, yeah yeah so yeah i mean I, I i think that's a fine plan i am also at, at the very minimum interested in learning how to play the deck competently so that it is a, so that i have that as a resource yeah um, for sure i don't know exactly what i would choose to play you know, I'm not queued for the envy. I was out of the country, so I didn't didn't quite rack up the points that I need. If I was queued, there's a reasonable chance that I would just play a Phoenix deck this weekend. It's what yeah. I would have played if I had ended up. At it's what I would have recommended that you play. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I I mean, part of it is that I've really enjoyed playing that kind of deck, in, including in Standard, but I've, I've been playing it in Modern Online as well, and uh, it just does powerful things that a lot of the stuff in the format doesn't seem to line up particularly well against. Um, yeah, yeah. And, it, it, and it, it's weird because, like, 3-2 Haste Flyers seem a little mopey given <laughs> what modern decks are capable of but i mean you know the power level is clearly there yeah, you know it is so but there's exciting stuff to be played in yes, modern for sure should we since the invitational is also standard we should talk we a little bit about standard talk a bit about that yeah yeah so the you know the top eight of the standard classic was three is it phoenix decks mm-hmm. four golgari decks yep and one boros Agros deck and honestly, in terms of like the the metagame percentage breakdown, that seems pretty indicative of what you should expect. There's also some other fringe decks to consider. I think that the Niv Mizzet control decks are going to be really popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you know there's going to be some smattering of mono blue as well. But you know those two fringe decks and then the three more popular decks, I think, are going to be what you should be focusing on for standard right now. Yeah, make sure that you have a plan for each of those matchups. Because those are the decks that I, you know, those are kind of the only decks that I would expect to face. So those are probably the only five decks I'm going to really heavily make sure I have a tuned towards, you know, tuned plan towards. Definitely. Where I'm going to fall on that spectrum is I'm not 100% sure. I love the Boros Agros deck. I think mm-hmm. the Boros Agro deck, I think, is just, it's just better than the other decks. <laughs> but I also believe that similar to Spirits in Modern, it's the most tuned towards deck mm-hmm. right now you know it, it's the deck that crushed the pro tour it so it's the deck that everybody's like oh well yeah make sure i have all these sweepers post board and those are the cards that really get you the ratio between like the visibility it gained from the pro tour mm-hmm. plotted against like how much better than the format it actually is yeah. was like pretty bad for the deck yeah because so many like more decks showed up in the top eight then we're in the, you know, like top 32 of constructed decks because <laughs> right. the limited rounds really, really shoved that deck somehow just because of chance, basically, yeah. into the top eight. So it became so visible that it became, at least for like the week or so after the Pro Tour, you, you could not play it. Yeah. Then things calmed down a bit. Right. But people are still more aware of the deck than they should be given. And I, I do think that it's like raw power level is super high, mm-hmm. but it's not just like miles ahead of <laughs> other decks in the format or anything. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think it's I think it's fundamentally better than the other decks. Mm-hmm. Just what it's doing, its own proactive plan, I think is better than what the other decks are doing. Yeah. Um, but given how it matches up against them, it doesn't mean it's the best choice. Mm-hmm. The other decks are now super prepared for the the aggro decks, so yep. that's just inherently going to make the aggro decks much worse. So I think that's what creates this balance that we're seeing. But you know, if if people are going to be not respecting that deck and only going after black green and is it, then it might be a good spot to you know. I'm going to be taking a look at like the the five O lists and really analyzing the sideboards that are showing up in the five O lists mm-hmm. to see how much respect um, Boros is getting. And if it's not getting respected, I'm probably going to pull the trigger on just playing it. I think that's an important thing to pay attention to. Yeah. And um, I haven't, you know, 
it's not time to look at lists yet. You you know you want to look at the five O lists that come out uh, like on Wednesday this, or this week. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but from what I have been hearing and from the way people have been and articles and in podcasts and stuff and in in just the lists that people have been proposing, it is very much adapting to this like super value mid rangey meta game. Like the it, the the Jeskai decks are very defined by like trying to main deck Niv Mizzet. Like, like Niv Mizzet yeah, is one right. of the most important cards in the format. Yeah. Everybody is like building around it. And like every concession people are making is like and, and I'm doing this too. Yeah. My my Drake's build that I've been playing is certainly not main decking entrancing melody anymore, because it's not good against anybody. I barely <laughs> yeah. play against any any mono white. I can't beat mono white with my 75 that I that I am playing right now. Yeah. Because I never play against it. If everybody's doing that, and if everybody is saying, like, all right, let's play these three main deck Niv Mizzets and these dive downs. <laughs> right, right, like, right. Just <laughs> put 18 one drops in your deck and you will crush everybody. Right. So I, I think that should be the first. Like, you should be looking for reasons not to play mono white. Mm-hmm. And if you can't find specific reasons not to play mono white, like, it seems like, and, and and by that I mean like check to see and make sure. And if people are not preparing for it, then you're just gonna run people over. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, th- those are the factors I'm gonna be paying attention to. Um, if that doesn't pan out, I've got my eyes on black green and the Drake deck. Mm-hmm. I think both of, both of those are pretty reasonable options. Um, Drake's has gone through some interesting stuff lately. Yeah. The the standard deck. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I think the easiest place to look at this is like Harlan's classic deck. So this is the the no Phoenix version of Drake's. Yeah. Uh, this is so so four Enigma Drake, four Crackling Drake, and two Niv Mizzets, which allows you to run three dive downs in the main deck because you have lots of good targets for it. The one thing that I really like about these builds is that you also get to run a bunch of main deck spell pierces. Yeah. Which, if you ever resolve that spell especially game one it's just busted mm-hmm. if you counter history of benalia with it yeah game right um and there there's so many times where i'm playing standard and just with whatever deck and uh, you know a lot of the time it's it's mono white but you know sometimes i'm playing black green or whatever and i i'm playing against a blue deck and i'm just like well if they have a spell pierce here that sucks for me <laughs> but i just have to play this anyways because spell pierce is not a card that i think that is worth playing around right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if everybody's jamming three in their deck, then all of a sudden that, you know, that it's becomes not true anymore and you have to respect it. Yep. That's that's a good factor. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Sure. So so these lists are interesting and they're very cool uh, and they do a good job of kind of maximizing Niv-Mizzets, especially as compared to the Jeskai decks because you have a few more cantrips. You're still running the Charted Courses. Charted Courses is really good in this deck because you have lots of attackers, so that's kind of cool. Um, and you're not really looking to discard. Using it as a draw two is pretty powerful. I do think you are giving up a reasonable amount uh, by losing the phoenixes. Yeah, you don't you don't have a a god draw anymore. Um, you're you're just throwing that by the wayside, and you're kind of like you're only casting one really relevant spell a turn for most of the game at that point, and uh, it's hard to turn around except by either casting a Niv-Mizzet or by playing like a Drake and then having dive down for a removal spell, which is a main part of the deck's plan. And it's certainly powerful. And having all these four toughness guys is very helpful against uh, Phoenixes in general. 
so so I definitely see what this deck is doing, but there's just so many games where I oops my way into a win by the Phoenixes just being in my deck that it's it's really hard for me. Uh, I, I mean, I've played this deck a little bit, and it's like fine, but you have to get a blowout with a spell pierce or a dive down really, or it it, it doesn't feel like it's doing anything particularly special to me. So that's that's kind of where I'm at on this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. It, it It's one of those decks where if the cat's out of the bag on you jamming a bunch of those one-mana gotcha cards, mm-hmm. then your opponent's probably going to be able to play around those effectively and beat you. Yeah. But if, you know, if nobody knows about it and nobody's expecting such a high density of those cards, then they're they're going to elect at certain points to accept that they're to, that they're going to lose to that card. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have a really high percentage chance of having one right. there. Yeah. So so I think that's like the equity that they're going for with that deck. Mm-hmm. I think that's really awesome if you're trying to do well in the Swiss. Um, and especially if we're playing modern in the top eight i think that's like a pretty good thing to do because if we're playing modern in the top eight then you know when deck lists become relevant you Mm -hmm. don't have to really worry about it but it is a consideration for me where you know i don't want to play a deck in the top eight of a tournament where people are gonna have my deck list when they you know i'm like all right well i'm just like loaded on spell pierces and and my opponent goes ah he's got three spell pierces huh (laughs) that's just gonna suck for me you know (laughs) (laughs) yep 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 and like one thing that I like here, one of the problems with with Drakes in general has just been the presence of Niv Mizzet in the metagame, and that card beats you if it stays in play and you don't have an answer to it. Mm-hmm. My answer to it hasn't been playing my own main deck Niv Mizzets because that's like very play draw dependent. Like yeah, if you yeah. just both have Niv Mizzets, like maybe yours are better, but if they whoever just whoever plays their first is just easily gonna win. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like if you're on the draw, yes, I'm a better Niv Mizzet deck because I have more cantrips, but yeah. they just play it right, and then I die. Right. Like, that's... And then you know what are you gonna do? Play yours right. <laughs> and cross your fingers and hope that it lives. So my answer to that has been having plenty of answers to Niv Mizzet. Yeah. Um. And so I have actually kind of liked main decking Firemind's research because it doesn't trigger Niv Mizzet when you use it to deal five and it just sort of yeah. sits there as a already like seal of fire kind of thing for I'm in for that. It. It's been fine. Just an early there's one sitting right here. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Chris, this whole podcast has just been fiddling with this fireman research. <laughs> so he's been waiting to talk about it. It's a it. lot better than I you know predicted it would be just per- but because we didn't think that there would be a deck that's like sixteen cantrips in standards. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's part of it. But yeah, uh and that's one of the reasons why I can't be mono white is because I have Firemind's research in my main deck deck. Yeah, not, not really a, a playable card against mono white. No, I would say. It's just completely blank text box. <laughs> right, but very very powerful in other scenarios. So, yeah, you know, man. I mean, it's one of those. You know, I've, I've talked about how against control decks, especially like pre rotation standard. I would like play a Jade Light Ranger and like flip a Carnage Tyrant and just be like, "Yep, that's staying on top." And my opponent's eyes would get really big. And this is one of those cards you just like cast it on turn two against your opponent's like Steam Vents Glacial Fortress. Yeah, they're, they're like Grixis Control deck. Yeah, and just like whatever. none of the cards in their color pie can answer it. Right. Oh yeah, so you can. I they like sure play a Teferi. Yeah. Plus, or like either you have to minus on my two mana enchantment that I can probably get card advantage off of in response. Yeah. Or you plus, and then I just untap and, like, cast a cantrip and then activate this for five damage to your Teferi. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, yeah. like, it does No, it seems good. It does hilarious stuff. It also murders Drake's, like... Yeah. It's, it's, that may be a... 
you know, if you're really trying to play Drakes this weekend, mm-hmm. maybe try this out as a secret weapon main deck. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've been happier with it than I thought I would be. Well, cool. Oh, and also, there was a Moto PTQ and uh, two big red decks in the top eight. Yeah, that deck might be a real thing. I remember playing relatively recently against it and just like watching it execute its plan against me and, and saying, wow, this is, if you know, if they can do this in, in each matchup, then that's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, clearly not beatable by the one-drop deck. Yeah. <laughs> just like Chain Whirlers and Deceit Gang Commander and stuff backed That's up right. by removal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, you know, it really relies on having just the the fact that it has Banefire in its deck to beat the, the control deck. Yes, right, yeah. So the plan is treasure map into Banefire. Which is a plan. Yeah, I it's mean, not you know, nothing. it'll find your Banefires if yeah. you draw the treasure map, so... I think these Legion War bosses. I don't know that there's anything better now. I think this deck may be kind of waiting for a better three to get printed in the next set or something. Because Legion War boss, I, I think, just is not actually doing something that this deck wants to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I've kind of asked the same question. Is I've seen a lot of these lists, and they all have like a couple of Legion War bosses, like sometimes in the sideboard, sometimes mm-hmm. like the one in the main. But kind of like why? Yeah, like people aren't taking their shocks out against you or anything. Right. Like, what what matchup is like only a pure race where your opponent like it like maybe if there's like a combo deck that existed, you, you wanted you would want to play this card that just like adds a quick clock on its own. Mm-hmm. But I just can't think of any matchups where that like you know that kind of quick clock is relevant. Yeah, this isn't you know we're not playing this isn't the days of Goblin Rabble Master anymore. Where we have like you know chain to the rocks and lightning strike to make sure that our goblins connected, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> everybody has just a ton of removal spells. So yeah, and and even you know like one place that it has been annoying, like it's gotten played against me when I've been playing uh, Drakes slash Phoenix, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, uh, and it can be annoying if it stays in play, but I got a lot of removal spells, yeah. and, and getting it shocked is just really bad. Definitely, I feel bad. Before I played this deck i would want to just try to figure out some way to get legion war boss out of the deck i think yeah but this is the only way i would play goblin chain whirler in standard mm-hmm. uh I, yeah all the other mono red decks seem pretty trash i just don't think mono red aggro is is good it can't it just doesn't keep up with anything they're trying to be this like turbo experimental frenzy deck mm-hmm but the best turbo experimental frenzy deck is actually just mono white. Yeah, just post board mono white. <laughs> right, yeah, it's just mono white post board because mono white is you're likely to just get there game one. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the game where your opponent wasn't ready. Yep. And then post board, you just like have a bunch of uh, experimental frenzies, and then whatever plan that they have to beat you with all their sweepers is looks silly. Yep. Rekindling Phoenix is a card that I love, but it just doesn't feel as good in a world where there's just a lot of lava coils Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of lava coils in this world yeah lava coil definitely made a pretty big impact on on that card Mm -hmm. um almost single-handedly yeah uh, which is pretty crazy because for a little bit we were advocating phoenix over uh we were advocating rekindling phoenix like over some of the drakes Mm -hmm. for a little bit in these in these phoenix decks and i think that just kind of was quickly proved silly by the existence of like three to four deal four exile in all of the red decks i i definitely thought that uh conclave cavalier was going to be a thing 
Because, like, that's a card that beats up red decks, right? Four mana, four, four vigilance, it dies into two, two, two vigilances? Yeah. Like, how does a red deck beat that? Oh, well, it's just got a two mana removal spell that gets rid of this four mana creature. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's... Lava Coil is just the biggest deal. It's definitely the best removal spell in the format. Yeah. Maybe some number of, like, sideboarded Rekindling Phoenixes for the non-red matchups could be interesting. Well, but, I mean, I so know. I think for this big red deck, I, I think the... Recon Link Phoenix being a good card is an important part of the deck being a good deck. If you're at the point where there really are too many Lava Coils to run Rekindling Phoenix main deck, I'm just not even sure what your deck is doing at that point. I, I, we can't just have Siege Gang Commanders. Uh, yeah. I, I love Siege Gang Commander, but, but come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's standard. Yeah, I mean, stuff. I think that sums up my thoughts on standard pretty yeah, well. I, you know, I'd play Mono White... Or a Phoenix deck. I'm a little scared. If I were to run a Jeskai deck, it would be one that is going heavy on Niv-Mizzets, but I'm a little scared that that's something that people are going to really see coming at this Just point. Just ready for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, like my, my board plans against every Izzet deck now like include bringing in Beacon Bolts or bringing in Ixalan's Binding. <laughs> right, like, yeah. It's just a thing that I prepare for. Right. So, yep, standard. Pretty cool. So this last bit... I kind of want to talk about the fact that I didn't go to Baltimore this past weekend, even sure. though I was planning on it. Um, like, made plans, had a place to stay, had a ride with uh, Collins and, and Jeremy and, and T. Lee, um, and I ended up backing out at kind of the last minute. Kind of weird. Like, it, it kind of felt embarrassing to do this thing, but I think it's not uncommon. Uh, I mean, I just, like, the night before the tournament, I just, like, got really, really anxious. And I'm in a weird spot in my life right now where I'm, like, looking for a job and feeling like, you know, certain things are not going quite the way that I hope they would, mostly because I'm, you know, not working right now, not exactly sure what my future is going to be like. And it was hard to know the day before the tournament, like, if I didn't want to go just because I was feeling bad and just like nebulously not good and didn't mm -hmm. want to go or if i really needed to take some time and and hang out and do some of the things that i needed to catch up on but um i ended up staying home because i had also the the invitational the next weekend and doing two weekends in a row i think was gonna stress me out a lot and ultimately i think like taking care of myself that way was kind of the right choice but i just I don't know, like magic tournaments are a grind and I have not been grinding particularly hard these past couple of weeks or anything, but I I just want to like let people know that all kinds of people have a hard time keeping up with life and stuff yeah, and I, for sure. I, I definitely have, and, and whatever is going on with me, anxiety problems, focusing problems and whatever, but mm. I mean like I just have a hard time sometimes and it's okay, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, let, let the record hold that we we tried our best to get, <laughs> to yeah, get Chris I mean, this, on this trip anyway. This story can't go untold. <laughs> I mean, like, I got a call from Collins, like, after they were supposed to leave, and he said, are you sure you don't want to come to this tournament? Because uh, we are right out. And then I heard my dog barking because they had just pulled up into the driveway. And then the three of them weren't trying to force me to come but i think i think the idea was if i was staying home because i was depressed and couldn't leave my room then this might be the the kick that i needed to go which i i i highly recommend having friends like this <laughs> so if you can if you can do that then that is i just know helpful. for me i've i've been 
that depressed in my life where I just like you know wanted to go out and do things that could be fun, but I just couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I think what mostly we were trying to do when we when you told us that you were feeling anxious and and wanted to back out, we just wanted to give you the opportunity to. Um, get out of bed and, and yeah. get your friends all there and excited about leaving and <laughs> and get get them to get you packing and stuff. So you know, and of course you didn't have to accept that, mm-hmm. right? But we wanted to give you the op- opportunity to yeah to have that. And that does it, it. It did mean a lot to me. And and I, if my circumstances were slightly different, then that would have been a very helpful thing. I mean, it was helpful just because it like. You know, gave re-centers you motivation my motivation to do stuff over the weekend, right? <laughs> and like recenters my place in the world a little bit. Like I've got these friends who care about me, yeah, and that's good and important. You know, I I'm glad that I stayed home. I got some stuff done. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I never get as much stuff done as I hope that I will get done over a weekend, but sure. some did. And I feel you know ready to go hang out at SCG Con. SCG Con's going to be a blast. Yep. Hope to see everybody there. Gave up my chance to top 8 Baltimore in order to qualify at the last minute, but <laughs> That's all right. Oh, but that's all right. But I'm honestly I'm if you end up doing those cube uh drafts or whatever, I'm super jealous. Yeah. I do wish I I mean I I wish that there was some opportunity to get SCG points this weekend besides just the the envy. It would be a nice little like reason to be there, because uh, you know there's no open or there's no classics. There's just pretty much these cube qualifiers are like the big tournaments on the weekend, mm-hmm. and nothing offers SCG points, which is, you know, uh, if you weren't engaged in this past season, then you're gonna be behind for about a year at this point if you're actually trying to to get points and and buys and stuff. But yeah, but that's just the way it is. So. All right, so for our Patreon question of the week, we got a few good ones, and we will make sure to answer them all in time. But we'll we'll ration them for the weeks where, you know, where you guys don't come up with anything good. <laughs> right, yeah. So Lee's question this week. So I was listening to Pro Points a while ago, one of our, you know, competitor podcasts, but I don't see how, you know, Mike Sigrist and Sam Black and uh, PVDDR could possibly keep up with yeah. what we've got going on I mean, here. yeah, come on. <laughs> So I was listening to Pro Points a while ago, and Siggy was talking about how he figured out that everyone in the Golgari mirror was trying to win by casting Finality and putting the plus one plus one counters on their own Carnage Tyrant, and that that was a good plan. So to trump this, Sigurd started boarding in Plague Crafter to avoid just losing to the Finality combo. Mm-hmm. Plague Crafter, though, is uh, it's really bad in that matchup outside of that interaction because everybody has all these just like random creatures lying around, the Explore guys. And so then in most of the game, it's rarely going to hit something important. But you definitely will lose to Carnage Tyrant plus Finality without it. Yeah. And so Lee says, I'd never thought of magic in terms of key interactions like this and using cards that are typically bad in the matchup to overcome it. I guess a good question is, how do you identify those choke points in a game and figure out the answer? And I guess implying, like, figure out if bringing in the answer is actually worth doing. Yeah. Well, so I think this is a really awesome question just because um, I think that once you get to a certain level of magic play, this is these specific choke points is become what magic is all about. Mm-hmm. Where in order to be, I think, fully prepared with the deck, you need to be able to know all of those choke points and all of the matchups that you're going to play. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what I strive for when I'm preparing for a tournament is that I want to really have a good understanding of each matchup 
And specifically by that, I mean an understanding of what matters in the matchup. Mm -hmm. what, are the play, what are the very common play patterns in the matchup and how that might be abusable from one side or the other is very important to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, if they've identified in the green-black mirror that people's plans are to get a Carnage Tyrant and then finality onto it to just have the biggest thing on the board, that's like what their that's what their plan is in the matchup, and that's what they're playing towards. So, you know, you might view that thing happening as like a one of the many options of the things that could potentially happen in a game of Magic, right? Because I think that a lot of people view the game of Magic as like, I'm going to play the cards that I draw, mm -hmm. right? And, and a lot of the time that's what it is, right? Especially for the first opening turns where you don't have access to a lot of stuff. You just have your seven and then whatever you draw. Yep. So it, uh, a lot of magic is play what I draw and figure out the optimal way to do that. Mm -hmm. But a huge element of magic that a lot of people don't even have the luxury to focus on because they're still learning how to optimize what they draw mm -hmm. is the, where the game is headed, yep. right? Those game plans. And if, 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 he, if, if they've determined that something that other people are planning towards is setting up the point where they can play a Carnage Tyrant and then finality it, mm -hmm. then that's going to happen from the people who are planning to do that a very high percentage of the time yeah. in, in these matches, like 80%, right? Because yeah. it's what they're going for. That's what they're trying for. So and if I you think can... the way that I sort of visualize it is like based on the cards you draw, you have all of these like branching paths. Like mm -hmm. what do I Chupacabra? What right. am I leaving on top of the Explorer? Which Planeswalker did I draw? What do I do with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these paths like branch out and then in the long term, they can often just come right back together because yeah. you've been thinking about one specific thing the whole time. Yeah, because that's what you're trying to set up. You're trying to like get your opponent by sweeping all the way all their creatures and then just having the biggest creature on the board. Right. And then, you know, the best thing that they could do in their next turn is play their Carnage Tyrant, but now you have a an eight toughness carnage. An eight tyrant. toughness carnage tyrant and you're gonna be in a good spot. Mm -hmm. So so right, so so we've identified that as as one of the plans in the matchup, and that's an excellent first step. And even getting to that point is tough for newer magic players mm -hmm. but it's something that you should be looking for understanding if you're trying to learn a deck well in order to play in a tournament yeah is is like those patterns and they've taken the next step beyond that which is okay i know what my opponent's going to be trying to do how can i punish them for that <laughs> and yeah definitely sometimes that you're going to have to think out of the box outside of the box in order to figure out how to punish that because you know, it might. You, we we have a tendency to look at magic cards in the oh, this card is generally good in this matchup, or it's generally bad right, in this matchup, right. but not in the sense of like in this specific board state that my opponent is trying to engineer. What helps me? So yeah, so yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a really brilliant thing that they've done to to figure that out in the in the black green matchup. And you know, if they're correct and that is what people's plans are going to be, they're going to get a huge amount of equity by understanding that and then having the trump card which mm -hmm. is the all right now you sacrifice your thing i think that the stuff like that is really what separates the professional players from everybody else mm -hmm. is because you know these guys they play on the pro tour they are going to know what's up and they've identified this really key element of the green black matchup where they can get this huge edge because they know what their opponent is trying to do and then they have the beat they, they have the win for that so if it's true that the opponent is going to be doing that 80 percent of the time and you can beat that all of a sudden you're looking at a 80 percent win percentage against players with that plan mm -hmm. and that's huge yep that's you know that's right that's, that's gigantic I, th I think there's a couple of key points here 
And number one is you need to identify how often the games actually end up at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, because if if it turns out like, oh, I completely overestimated either number one, how many of my opponents are aiming for this game state, yeah. or number two, how realistic it is for my opponent to end up in this game state and i mean like now if we are on the the playcrafter plan then we make make like exchanges and trades and like over commit in ways to encourage our opponent so we can raise mm-hmm. that pot that that percentage yeah. now we're playing this whole game around yeah. our knowledge we can utilize our knowledge of what our opponent's trying to do to get a huge huge advantage in the game yeah yeah uh and, and so yeah if we can also artificially increase that percentage oh, yeah for sure and then we have to know that like this actually works mm-hmm. you know if, if we play some games with it and then it turns out like okay yeah we played crafter the carnage tyrant but then we don't have the mana to cast our own follow-up play the same turn as the plague crafter right. and then they get back up like maybe it doesn't really work so so in order to justify bringing in what is a quote like quote unquote bad card in the matchup you need to know that the the spot that it's going to happen mm-hmm. is going to happen a lot and that this actually is really good in that spot right once you've like fulfilled those two things and i think these tend to come up more in these complicated grindy matchups yeah like i'm not gonna you know it, say that we're playing some sort of future standard format where mono white aggro is like a big deck and uh most of them in, you know we're, we're done with experimental frenzy splash sideboard now the hot thing is like splashing negate uh because we we really it's really good against whatever the control decks are doing this isn't the kind of matchup where i'm like well the important card is history of vanilla <laughs> i'm gonna bring in these negates to beat history of vanilla like yeah. that's not gonna work in that sort of matchup this is not a grindy long-term matchup where we're aiming for a point late in the game where like they're just trying to resolve a history of vanilla yeah like it happens a lot more in control on control mirrors where like we can plan like like dive down dive down is terrible <laughs> in your deck with like no creatures in it in a control mirror yeah. like like i i mean i guess specifically like in in phoenixes post board i have like six targets for dive down right i, I can protect my crackling drakes and i can protect my niv mizzets and i don't really want to protect my crackling drakes because <laughs> i want to set up a game state where i have niv mizzet in play and a dive down up Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a pretty narrow situation. Yeah. But my deck is full of cantrips. It's the point in the game that I am aiming for with like everything that I've got. Mm-hmm. And dive down is just not. I don't think it's actually that good of a card in the matchup, but right. it's very good in the game state I'm trying to create. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was talking one one person who I know really thinks about magic in this context really well is Caleb Scherer. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him uh, over the weekend, and he mentioned that. Uh, he thought that modern was like um, it was similar to poker in some contexts because the way that he viewed modern from the perspective of playing storm mm-hmm. is that he really likes to figure out which plan his opponent is going to take in order to try to beat him post board. Yeah, and then he's going to sideboard in a way that is trying to crush that plan, mm-hmm. right? And he understands that he is probably right about, you know, 65% of the time about what his opponent's plan is going to be. Mm-hmm. But he's gone all in on that, right? Yeah. So if he's if he's right in that 65, you know, if he's if he's right more than half the time and then his cyber plan is completely oriented in that direction, mm-hmm. he's going all in on that 65%, then his win percentage is going to be 
close-ish to the 65% or whatever his confidence level is of being correct in whatever his plan is, right? Sure. So if you can increase that confidence level of what your opponent's plan is going to be to... It, that That's going to vary very highly, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you're going to be playing against a person who has like three different plans and, you know, like, well... That's unfortunate. I don't know. Which, <laughs> I don't know which one I'm going to have to guess towards in that guitar. But sometimes it's very narrow and defined, and the more defined they are, the more abusable it is. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, there's this stuff is pretty. I, I think the more you think about things that you have done in standard, the more spots you'll find. Bring in fight with fire against control decks because they have Lyra Dawnbringer. Just sometimes, either you you're gonna they're trying to get the game to a state where they're doing this thing and you need to have an answer to it, and that happens a lot. But yeah, just like, what's the percentage of time that the game ends up here is just really important. And probably tends to be more relevant in the grindy matchups. And yeah, I mean, this is just a really interesting way to to think about the game. Like, lots of cool examples here that, like, God, I hate bringing in Vraska's Contempt against <laughs> control decks. Right, but but you know that you just have to. Yeah. Right, yeah. and that's and that's an understanding of the of the plans. Right, that's mm -hmm. an understanding of of how the matchup is going to play out. Is that you know that you're just going to have to kill her to fairy yeah. or whatever. It is a little better now that they all have to fairy. The yeah, the time right. I really hated it was against old blue black control, and it was just like. Do I bring it in to kill their Scarab God? Or do I try to not draw two Vraska's Contempts when they don't even have a Scarab God yeah, in play? Yeah, yeah. So now at least it's a, it's a little less horrifying. But uh, yeah, just... And, and you know, that, that's a that's a time when like I wanted to go the other way. Is I, I didn't think that the game would end up in a situation... Like a lot of times I would not have Vraska's Contempt in against the blue-black decks. Mm -hmm. Because even though they were trying... You know, this was out of like Snake or something, usually. Even though they were trying to get the game into a place where they could put Scarab God into play and then untap with it. And while yes, me having Vraska's Contempt in that situation would be good... Because my game plan fundamentally involved putting them into a spot where they could not cast a good Scarab God, yeah. that meant that I didn't want to have Raska's Contempt in right. my deck. Right. So yeah, but it's 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 really incredible how many of these like decisions that we make can be informed by an understanding of the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So yep, and uh, none of these things happen without playing that matchup dozens. of of times right, like, right you can't get to this point unless you just play and play and play yeah yeah so yeah it's 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 the thing that particularly like as a coach is i you know i want to be able to to teach that like aspect of things but it's it's much harder because in order to even start focusing on that aspect of things you really need to have a solid foundation mm. elsewhere right mm -hmm. of just like you know you need to be able to you know, sequence your what you've drawn without really thinking about it too much in order to put a lot of mental energy into that. Sure. So it's definitely tough to 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 teach that kind of stuff, but um Right, right. If you're struggling to figure out like what is worth casting Ravenous Jupacabra and killing in the matchup, mm -hmm. then you're several steps removed from like um I've got a sideboard planning for them to have a 9-8 Carnage type. Right. Like, like it's a yeah. lot of work yeah, yeah, to yeah. get to that point. Right. But it just kind of proves how really phenomenally in-depth this game can get. Mm -hmm. So Definitely. I think it's cool. Yeah. Awesome question. Yeah. Hopefully we 
got some Ho- traction hopefully there, any yeah. of that made sense that's always my fear is that nothing i say makes sense uh, i think we're doing just fine okay well cool um awesome well i think that's it for us today uh, thanks everybody so much for listening thanks so much to our patrons really appreciate the support um, if you'd like to become a patron get some tokens hang out in the discord can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast you can also head over to our website where we have links to the Patreon and links to Collins's one-on-one coaching services. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. And I will not be backing out of going to SCG Con this weekend. Oh, we'll, will, we'll drag him this time. I will definitely <laughs> be there. Uh, we will be wearing our hats. Come say hi. Yes. Like, it's going to be great. We I'm will super be excited. And shout out to everybody who's listening to the podcast right now on the way up to the Invitational. I know it happens. So yeah, we'll definitely. see you there. Yeah, it'll be great. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll see you right after you know you finish <laughs> listening to this sentence. Who knows? I, I have no idea when people will be putting this on. So. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Peace.